Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this evening. We'll be in the book of Ecclesiastes, looking at chapter 9 and verses 11 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 to 18. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Well, all of us have lived long enough uh, to know that things don't always go as planned. Things don't always kind of turn out how we think they ought to turn out. And when that happens, that usually tends to frustrate us, doesn't it? Uh, Because we think that if we do X and Y, that Z ought to always result. And we think that way, why? Well, because oftentimes that is the case. But unfortunately, though, in those times in which it does not result that way, as we expected, uh, we tend to respond like the world. And a part of the reason for that is that our minds are, are stuck on the earth. We have taken the shape of the world. right? We think like the world, act like the world, speak like the world, expect the same things that the world expects. But this is not wisdom. right? For it places trust in ourselves and not trust in God. Right? When we respond in that manner, when things don't go the way we think they ought to go, right? we don't honor God. We don't glorify God. Which ought to be the, the Christian's chief goal in life, right? to glorify God. And so how are we to approach life and, and all of these events that take place in it? That we might glorify Him in those things. Well, Solomon says first by recognizing that, that life that we live is, is unpredictable. This is our first point that we'll look at, which we'll call there, there are no guarantees in our earthly affairs. Right? There are no guarantees in our earthly affairs. Solomon says, The race isn't to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. Right? Experience tells us that oftentimes, for example, if we want to use the race, the race isn't to the swift, as an example, that experience tells us that oftentimes 
Uh, it is the fastest person who wins the race, isn't it? But experience also tells us that that's not always the case. Right? The fastest person doesn't always win the race. But what usually happens when the person who should have won doesn't win? Well, they usually go back to the drawing board, don't they? And they investigate. You know, why did I not come out on top? Uh, what can I change or what can I do differently to ensure that the next time I run that race, I will win? Now, right, hard work is great. Right? Reflecting upon our work and trying to improve ourselves in whatever vocation or occupation that we are in is good. But unlike the world, we shouldn't first turn right, to ourselves to try to discover how we might ensure our success at every turn. But rather, as Christians, we are to first turn to God, aren't we? We are to turn to the, to the Lord, believing that even though we may do our best and try our hardest, that when things don't fall out in the way that we want them to fall out, in the way we think they should fall out, then in fact, they, they do fall out in place. Right? All events fall out in the proper place. Right? The, the, the place that God had intended them to fall out in. Right? Maybe not to the desired effect that we wanted, but certainly in the way that God desired and ordained them to be. But right, this is a part of the deformity of the fallen nature of man in that we don't consider God first. We don't consider God first in, in all of the events that transpire in our lives, but rather we believe that if, if I just kind of tweak my approach a little bit, or if I just kind of change the recipe, I can make things happen how I want them to happen. I can make things go how I want it to go as long as I diligently pursue those ends, yet never giving thought to, to God and, and His providence. We are a people who, who greatly lack humility. And then we, do, and then we wonder why you know, things happen the way that they do. Well, it's because we place the events that happen in our life in our own hands. right? We look to our own strength. If I lost because I wasn't strong enough, all I have to do is get stronger. If I didn't get a job, all I have to do to get it next time is to prepare a little better. Um, if I got sick, what I need to do is just need to start eating healthier and taking vitamins. If I lack knowledge, all I got to do is turn to, to books and I will be smarter and wiser. Right? We think we can just do these things and expect a particular result. Right? But then when we do those things, we ought not to be surprised right, when God comes along and says, No. When he says no to us. Because as Christians, we are to live in such a way that our lives are lived in dependence upon God. Right? And when we don't depend on God, when we trust in ourselves and our own methods and our own ways and our own approaches to things, God oftentimes will come along and remind us of our need for Him. Right? And our need to depend on Him for all things. Right? This world that we live in, especially... Uh, those who have much in this world see no need to depend on God. Right? But that's not how we are to approach things. Even the Christian who lives comfortably, who has a lot, when it comes to the relationship with God, is to live in a relationship to God as if they had nothing. Even though they may have all temporal things that they need. Right? We are to live in our relationship with God as if we have nothing. Right? It's the, it's the beggar in this world who goes up to people and, and asks for what they need. 
Right? In, the, in the Christian life, in our spiritual lives, we are to be beggarly Christians. Right? Ones who are constantly going before our Father, asking Him for everything that we need and rejoicing in whatever it is that He gives to us, knowing that that is what honors God. Right? That is what glorifies God. That even when things don't go according to how we want them to go, that we can trust that they did go according to how God wanted them to go. And in that, we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't grow frustrated or upset, but rather we should be glad. We should be glad no matter how things go because we know that the will of God is being done. Not our will, God's will. And in that, we ought to rejoice. Whether that means good or bad for us. Good and bad happens to everyone, doesn't it? Solomon says this at the end of verse 11, but time and chance happen to them all. Right? The wise person understands this. Right? We live with a, a heavenly perspective always passing before our eyes so that even when evil things happen, especially when we don't even expect it, we don't lose focus on God and turn and shift the focus upon ourselves, but we, we humbly submit to everything that God sends our way, realizing that it comes from the hand of God. Right, look at verse 12 with me. For man does not know his time like fish they are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So too the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Right, what Solomon's saying is nobody can predict when, when evil will happen to you. Um, oftentimes we're, we're unaware of it. We just don't know. We don't have knowledge of it. If the fish had knowledge that as I'm swimming, I'm swimming into a net to be caught, he wouldn't go there. Just like you or I, if we knew that we would get in our car and as we drove home we'd be hit by a drunk driver and paralyzed for the remainder of our life, we wouldn't get in the car, would we? But we're not afforded knowledge of all of these things, are we? No, that's not knowledge that God gives to us. The best thing a Christian can do is, is be ready and watchful and, and serving the Lord always. Certainly there are things as Christians we can avoid. Right? By listening to God in His Word. That an unbeliever won't as they follow after the, the desires of the flesh. But there are also things, brothers and sisters, that no matter how godly you are, right, you will not be able to escape them because it has been ordained by God that you go through them. But at least in those instances, right, we can respond as God has called us to do. Right? That hour is coming for all of us. Right? We all will suffer right? trial and, and tribulation, but we have to make sure that when it does, that we respond in an unmistakably Christian way. Right? That's what wisdom teaches us. Te- it teaches us right, how we are to think. Right? That's what Solomon shows here in these first few verses. But this is why heavenly wisdom is to be so desired. Why it's like a rare jewel because it's so valuable for the Christian in our earthly life. Right? Look with me. Starting at verse 13, for here we have an example. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. A great king came against it, besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, 
and his words are not heard. This takes us to our second point, which we'll call prioritizing wisdom. Right? We've seen wisdom teaches us how to think. Here Solomon demonstrates that wisdom likewise teaches us how to act. Right? Solomon tells the story of the great king who, who makes war on this little city with few men in it. Now this isn't a historical tale, but rather it's, it's more like a parable. Right? It's meant to, to teach us a lesson. But as we read it, what you think would happen is that if you have a great army and a mighty king, that they would just have rolled over this city and they would be no more. But what do we read about this? That in the city there was a poor wise man through who the use of his wisdom delivers the city from this great army and this mighty king. But even though he did this for the people, for the city, for his neighbors, we are told that he was soon forgotten. Yet Solomon concludes that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now here we see, brothers and sisters, right, the power of wisdom. Right? We see what, what wisdom can do, how this feeble man was able to deliver a city through wisdom. This is why when God asks Solomon what he wants, right, Solomon doesn't say uh, riches, or he doesn't say strength even, but he asks God for wisdom, right? Because wisdom is a, is a powerful tool. Now this story though also teaches us what? That for the godly, there will be many, many disappointments though for us as well. Right? There will be many disappointments. We live in a world that values the powerful. We live in a world that, that values uh, those who are externally uh, beautiful. The world values those who have great riches. Right, this world and sadly many Christians right, look up to these sorts of folks and we right, esteem them highly. We kind of put them on a pedestal. That's what we want to be like. Right, when instead this world, and especially Christians, right, ought to be holding up as desirable and, and praiseworthy and worthy of, of following the example of those whom the grace of God reveals itself in. Right, those are the people that we ought to esteem in our life and around us and in our circles. Right? God's people, most of all, are, are people who are beautiful inwardly. Now, maybe that doesn't count to the world, right? but that counts with God. Right? They are those who are beautiful and precious in God's sight. And so, it is the Christian who ought to be most beautiful and precious in our sight as well. For they are the ones who resemble the Son the most. And isn't this what we've seen with with God's choosing of David to be the king of Israel. Uh, it was Solomon who was sent to the house of Jesse uh, to find from Jesse's children the next king of Israel. And when he goes, he doesn't look at David and say, ah, there's your next great king. But he looks at Eliab, doesn't he? And he goes, oh, look at, look at this man. He must be the next king. But what does God say to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7? He says, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? You see, brothers and sisters, because we do not look like the world, speak like the world, think like the world, act like the world, right? the world... Is not going to love us. The world's not going to look at you and say, this Christian here is an example of, of true beauty. We ought to follow this. Right? We need to understand that whatever good we do, 
like the man in this parable, to our neighbors, right? Whatever advantage we bring to them as we interact with our neighbors and we tell them about Christ, right? Which is the greatest gift we ought to give our neighbor. That soon will be forgotten, right? They won't remember it. They'll go about their lives and you will be forgotten and the message that you told them will be forgotten. But there's not a reason to, to hang our head and to be sad or to mope, mope or pout. But like this man, and as Christians, right, we don't love our neighbor. We don't look to the advantage of our neighbor. We don't look to do good towards our neighbor for the reward that comes from men, do we? You know, the world does this so that they might receive attention and glory from men. But that should never be the reason that you and I do good to our neighbor. Right? Everything that we do is to be done to the glory of God. And any praise that, that we get because of it, we ought to want to redound to God. For those who want the reward of men, that will be their only reward. right? The, the applause of men. But for God's people, uh, our reward is, is something far greater, isn't it? It's a gift from God that was earned and purchased by Christ that is far greater than any applause that that men can heap upon us. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. This is what godly wisdom teaches us. This is why uh, the lack of recognition from men should not shock us, surprise us, cause us to be disheartened. Right? Because we know, as James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 12, right? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This leads us then into our third and our final point that we want to look at this evening, which we'll call quiet words are better than loud words. Quiet words are better than loud words. Look with me please at verses 17 and 18. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Here we have another comparison, don't we, between wisdom and folly. And just as Solomon has told us that wisdom teaches us how to think, wisdom teaches us how to act, he now demonstrates to us that wisdom teaches us how to speak as well. Right. In our day and age, and I'm sure with every generation, uh, you have people who, who are very loud and who are very uh, noisy. And in being loud and noisy, what they oftentimes do is create a lot of attention for themselves, don't they? It is those loud people uh, who oftentimes are, are very influential. And people oftentimes look at those people and say, well, I want to be like them. Right? Because if I want people to respect me, if I want people to listen to me and what I have to say, well then, I surely need to be like this. But Solomon says, no. No, that's not how the godly are to speak, but rather that is how the fool speaks, the sinner speaks. Right? The, the wicked do that because they want to be made much of. Right? They want to draw attention to themselves. But that's not the example we are to follow because he says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I mean, think about the example of, of Christ Himself. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 19, this is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. We are told this about Jesus. 
He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear His voice in the streets. Right? Jesus came as, as meek and lowly. Uh, Jesus came as one who did not seek honor. Right? He did not seek the applause of men. Right? Jesus oftentimes did what? When He performed a miraculous work, He told them, don't go and tell anyone about what I have just done. We read about a poor and wise man in verses 13 to 16. Who, who is that most true of than, than Christ Himself? Christ was a, a poor and most wise man who knew when to speak and how to speak. He knew when to go and when to stay. He was able to communicate true saving knowledge always with the right disposition towards those whom He dealt with. Right? It's that example, brothers and sisters, that we must learn from. To have a, a quiet, humble, meek spirit about us as we speak to others about Christ. Right? Don't think you're ever going to get someone to listen to you as you tell them about Christ while not acting like Christ. Right? Don't think you're going to get people to desire to have Christ by, by shouting at them. You'll never get someone into the kingdom that way. They're not going to listen. All you're going to do is cause them either to shout back at you or to run away. That's not wisdom. Maybe it's true of you. I know it's been true of me that oftentimes isn't what Solomon says here true. It's, it's maybe when you have just a one-on-one situation with someone where you're able to speak quietly, not around anyone else who might be affecting the conversation, that you can kind of you know, delve in most and have the most impact on someone as you speak to them about Christ. Oftentimes it happens in, in the quiet of, of just a, a one-on-one company. Right? This wisdom, then, Solomon says, is better than weapons of war. Why? Because this wisdom is more effective, isn't it? It's most effective in getting the job done. Right? God, in His wisdom, using His people, confuses the plan of this world and its worldly wisdom. Right? It's in that quiet wisdom that God oftentimes chooses right, to, to save sinners and to Draw them to Himself. This is why Solomon says one quiet saint right, is, is far more effective than one loud sinner. Right? A, a quiet saint is far more useful in, in building up God's kingdom than one loud sinner. I mean, think about that son in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who, who took the uh, wife of his father. Right? Think about the destruction that what one loud sinner can do. He could have destroyed the whole church, right? There in Corinth, he could have broken apart, caused great schism and division. And yet, brothers and sisters, as we read this text today, how, how faithless right, many of us have been in our use of wisdom. Right? There are so many opportunities, day after day, to exercise this godly wisdom and how we speak to co-workers, our spouse, our children, in good times and bad, how we, how we react. May we see the need then to, to think like Christ, right? to act like Christ, to speak like Christ, to follow His example and not the world's, to trust Him and not ourselves, to walk by faith leaning on His plan and not our own, to look to please Him and not man, to seek His glory and not our own. May we pray that He would continue then to help us to grow up in that godly wisdom, that we might please Him with our lives, this day and forevermore. Please bow your heads with me in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word and the message of, of godly wisdom and how valuable and important it ought to be to the Christian. We thank You, Lord, that You have gifted us with this wisdom. We pray, Lord, that You would continue to cultivate it in ourselves, Lord, that You would continue to increase that godly wisdom, that You would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to use godly wisdom throughout our life. Lord, we pray that You would uh, grant that godly wisdom uh, to all of our, our loved ones and our children and our parents and our siblings who have not yet come to saving faith. Lord, we pray uh, that You would grant to, to all uh, that meek and mild spirit as Your Son brought into the world. And we pray, Lord, that You would grant to us a greater conformity to that spirit in our own lives. And we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.